If you're listening to this podcast on YouTube, for a better experience, switch to the video version. The link is in the top right corner of the video and in the episode description. Hello and welcome, I'm Fernando, a GP in the UK. Today, we're going to do an up-to-date revision of the NICE guideline on type 2 diabetes. This episode is longer because it has two parts. In the first part, which lasts about 20 minutes, I will summarize the NICE guideline itself, always focusing on what is relevant in primary care only. In the second part, I will present you with a series of multiple choice questions so that you can test yourself. After each question, you're given the right answer, which is paired with a guiding quotation. This is designed to clarify key concepts and enhance continuous learning and retention. Right, let's jump into it. Firstly, we will offer structured education to patients at the time of diagnosis with annual reinforcement, which should be in the form of group education programs. The dietary advice should be the same healthy eating advice as the general population, which includes high fiber, low glycemic index sources of carbohydrates, low fat foods and oily fish. And we will discourage foods marketed specifically for diabetes. If the person is overweight, we should aim for a weight loss target of 5 to 10%, remembering that even small amounts of weight loss can be beneficial. The guideline on type 2 diabetes makes reference to the bariatric surgery guideline, which says that we should refer people with type 2 diabetes for consideration of bariatric surgery if they have a BMI of 35 or more. Although for people from black, Asian and other minority ethnic groups, we will reduce the BMI to 32.5. The recommendations on hypertension are broadly the same as for other people, so we will simply follow the NICE guideline on hypertension. When a different approach is needed for diabetes, this is specified in the hypertension guideline. In terms of antiplatelet therapy, aspirin or clopidogrel, we will not offer it if there's no history of cardiovascular disease, so not for primary prevention. In respect of blood glucose management, we will measure the HbA1c every three to six months until the HbA1c is stable, or every six months once both HbA1c and therapy are stable. If HbA1c is not valid because of disturbed erythrocyte turnover or abnormal hemoglobin type, we will use plasma glucose levels, fructosamine, or in cases of abnormal hemoglobin type, we will use total glycated hemoglobin. In terms of HbA1c targets, if the diabetes is managed either by diet or a single drug not associated with hyperglycemia, we would aim for an HbA1c of 48 or 6.5%. If it is treated with a drug associated with hyperglycemia, we will aim for an HbA1c of 53 or 7%. If the HbA1c on a single drug rises to 58 or 7.5% or higher, we will intensify drug treatment aiming for an HbA1c of 53 or 7%. However, we will relax the target, particularly for older or frailer people, if they are unlikely to achieve benefits, for example because of reduced life expectancy, or if intensive treatment would not be appropriate, for example because of comorbidities or risk of hypoglycemia. If the HbA1c drops below the target, we should consider other possibilities, for example deteriorating renal function or sudden weight loss. When considering self-monitoring of blood glucose, we will take into account the DVLA recommendations on driving. But otherwise, 
we will not routinely offer self-monitoring of capillary blood glucose levels unless treated with insulin or oral medication that may cause hyperglycemia or there is evidence of hyperglycemia or they are pregnant or planning to get pregnant. We will consider short-term self-monitoring of blood glucose when starting oral or intravenous corticosteroids to confirm suspected hyperglycemia or if we are concerned during acute intercurrent illness. What about the new technology of continuous glucose monitoring? Well, we should offer intermittently scanned continuous glucose monitoring, commonly referred to as FLASH, if there are multiple insulin injections and they have recurrent hypoglycemia or impaired hypoglycemia awareness, or they're unable to self-test, or they have to self-test at least eight times a day. We can consider real-time continuous glucose monitoring as an alternative to the intermittently scanned version if the cost is similar or lower. However, we should advise patients using continuous glucose monitoring that they will still need to test capillary blood glucose level, and this is because they need it to check the accuracy of the continuous glucose monitoring device, and also because they need it as a backup. Now let's have a look at the drug treatment. In terms of rescue therapy, at any stage of treatment, if someone is symptomatically hyperglycemic, we should consider insulin or sulfonylurea and review the treatment when blood glucose control has been achieved. Then, as first-line drug treatment, we will offer standard release metformin. We will gradually increase the dose over several weeks to minimize the risk of gastrointestinal side effects. And if they appear, we will consider a trial of modified release metformin. After metformin, we should assess the cardiovascular risk to determine whether they have chronic heart failure or established atherosclerotic cardiovascular disease or are at risk of it. And then, if they have chronic heart failure or established cardiovascular disease or are at high risk of it, we will go for an SGLT2 inhibitor. When starting dual therapy with metformin and an SGLT2 inhibitor, we will start them sequentially, commencing with metformin and adding the SGLT2 inhibitor as soon as we can confirm that metformin is well tolerated. Now, if metformin is contraindicated or not tolerated, we will do the same. That is, we will assess the cardiovascular risk to determine whether they have chronic heart failure or established atherosclerotic cardiovascular disease or are at high risk of it. And then, if the patient is in any of these categories, we will also go for an SGLT2 inhibitor as monotherapy. However, if they don't have chronic heart failure or established cardiovascular disease and they're not at high risk of it, we will have a lot of flexibility because we can consider a DDP4 inhibitor or pioglitazone or a sulfonylurea or also an SGLT2 inhibitor. SGLT2 inhibitors have been associated to an increased risk of diabetic ketocidosis and therefore, before starting them, we need to check that they are not at increased risk of DKA. For example, if they have had a previous episode of DKA, they are unwell with intercurrent illness, or they are following a very low carbohydrate or ketogenic diet. If a patient is following a very low carbohydrate or ketogenic diet, they will need to change the diet before the SGLT2 can be started. And once they are on it, we will advise them against following this type of diet in the future. If a patient's first-line treatment does not include an SGLT2 inhibitor because they do not have chronic heart failure or established atherosclerotic cardiovascular disease and they're not at high risk of it, 
but later on they fall into one of these categories, we will start an SGLT2 inhibitor either by adding it to the current treatment or by replacing one of the other drugs with the SGLT2 inhibitor, depending on our clinical judgment. Now, in general, if we need to intensify the drug treatment because of monotherapy with metformin is not enough, we will have a lot of flexibility and we can add a DPP4 inhibitor or pioglitazone or a sulfonylurea or an SGLT2 inhibitor. Then, if we need to intensify the drug treatment again because dual therapy with metformin and another oral drug is not enough, we will either start with triple therapy by adding a further oral agent that is a DPP4 inhibitor, bioglitazone, sulfonylurea, or an SGLT2 inhibitor, or we will stop insulin. However, if metformin is contraindicated or not tolerated, and dual therapy with two other oral drugs is not enough, we should go straight for insulin. That is, NICE only recommends triple oral therapy if one of those three drugs is metformin. Now, so far we have not mentioned GLP-1 receptor agonists at all. When does NICE recommend them? Well, if triple therapy with metformin and two other oral drugs is not enough, we can consider triple therapy by switching one oral drug for a GLP-1 receptor agonist if the BMI is 35 or higher and there are problems associated with obesity. Although for people from black, Asian and other minority ethnic groups, we will reduce the BMI to 32.5. Or if the BMI is lower than 35 and insulin would have occupational implications or weight loss would benefit other comorbidities. We will only continue the GLP-1 receptor agonist if there has been a beneficial metabolic response, which is an HbA1c reduction of at least 11 millimol per mole, 1%, and a weight loss of at least 3% of the initial body weight in six months. NICE also says that GLP-1 receptor agonists and insulin should only be combined with specialist advice and ongoing support. Now let's have a look at drug management specifically for people with both type 2 diabetes and CKD. And the guideline on type 2 diabetes says that people with both type 2 diabetes and CKD should have standard CKD treatment with an ACE inhibitor or ARB titrated to the highest licensed dose that the person can tolerate if the ACR is 3 or more. And once they are on a fully titrated dose of the ACE inhibitor or ARB, we will add an SGLT2 inhibitor if ACR is over 3, and particularly if it is over 30, and they meet the EGFR thresholds to prescribe the SGLT2 inhibitor. However, this area is a little confusing because this is the advice on the NICE guideline on type 2 diabetes, NG28. However, in more recent NICE guidance, in the form of technology appraisals, NICE says that dapagliflozin is recommended as an add-on to ACE inhibitors and ARBs if the EGFR is between 25 and 75 and they have type 2 diabetes without mentioning any ACR thresholds. And a similar approach appears in the technology appraisal on empagliflozin, which says that empagliflozin is recommended as an add-on to ACE inhibitors and ARB if the patient has type 2 diabetes and the EGFR is between 20 and 90 again without mentioning any ACR levels. In summary, the technology appraisals recommend the SGLT2 inhibitors, dapagliflozin and empagliflozin 
for people with type 2 diabetes and CKD if EGFR thresholds are met, but without referring to ACR thresholds. This is in contradiction to the guideline NG28 on type 2 diabetes, where SCR thresholds of 3 and 30 are stipulated. Until the situation has been clarified, my personal view would be to follow the most recent guidance, that is, the technology appraisals on dapagliflozin and empagliflozin, and I would offer these drugs to people with type 2 diabetes and CKD if the EGFR thresholds are met, regardless of ACR levels. Now let's have a look at what NICE says in respect of insulin therapy. Firstly, with starting insulin, we should offer an insulin-specific structured educational program. On starting insulin, we can continue to offer metformin, but we will review the continued need for other diabetic agents. NICE recommends starting insulin following one of these regimens. NPH insulin once or twice daily. NPH insulin and short-tightening insulin given either separately or as a pre-mixed or biphasic human insulin preparation. Insulin analogues like detemir or glargin are once-daily insulins without a peak of action, and therefore they are an alternative to NPH insulin if a person needs help to inject insulin, or there is recurrent hypoglycemia, or the person would otherwise need twice-daily NPH insulin injections, as well as oral medication. Short-acting insulin analogues can be injected just before a meal and have a more rapid onset of action. Therefore, pre-mixed or biphasic preparations, including short-acting insulin analogues, rather than short-acting human insulin preparations, can be used if injecting immediately before a meal is preferred, or hypoglycemia is a problem, or blood glucose levels rise markedly after meals. We will switch to insulin detamir or glargin if there are problems with NPH insulin, like hypoglycemia, poor control, difficulty injecting, or there are practical issues with the NPH device. We will monitor patients on a basal insulin regime, that is NPH insulin, insulin detamir or glargin, for the need of short-acting insulin. Equally, we will monitor patients on pre-mixed or biphasic insulin for the need for further injections of short-acting insulin before meals or for a change to a basal bolus regimen if control remains inadequate. Now let's have a look at the complications and how we would manage them. Patients with type 2 diabetes are at higher risk of periodontitis and we will explain that, if they develop it, managing it can improve the diabetic control and that they should have regular oral health reviews as advised by the dental team. We will suspect gastroparesis if there is erratic blood glucose control or unexplained gastric bloating or vomiting. We will take into account possible alternative diagnoses and we will refer if the diagnosis is in doubt or there are persistent or severe symptoms. We also need to explain to patients with vomiting caused by gastroparesis that there is no strong evidence that antiemetic therapy is effective, that some people have had benefit with domperidone erythromycin or metoclopramide, and that the strongest evidence for effectiveness is photomperidone, but its prescribing is limited by its safety profile, in particular its cardiac risk and potential interactions. To treat vomiting caused by gastroparesis, first line we will consider alternating the use of erythromycin and metoclopramide. 
and we will consider Don Peridone only in exceptional circumstances and in accordance with MHRA advice. For guidance on managing painful diabetic peripheral neuropathy, we are advised to consult the specific guideline on neuropathic pain. And my summary of that guideline is that if the neuropathic pain is localised, we will consider topical treatment in the form of capsaicin cream. Otherwise, if oral therapy is preferred, we will offer a choice of amitriptyline, geloxetine, gabapentin or pregabalin. Gabapentin and pregabalin are controlled drugs, so it would make sense to start with either amitriptyline or geloxetine first. If the initial treatment is not effective or tolerated, we will offer one of the remaining three drugs and consider switching again if the second and third drugs are not effective. As a general rule, when withdrawing or switching treatment, we will taper the dose to minimise any withdrawal symptoms. So for me, considering the cost of drugs and controlled drug status, I would consider amitriptyline first, then geloxetine, then gabapentin, and lastly pregabalin. We will obviously refer if despite treatment the pain is severe, disabling or affecting the sleep, or if the underlying condition has deteriorated. And finally, as acute rescue therapy for neuropathic pain, we could consider tramadol, but only for short-term use, as this would be counterproductive in the long term. Autonomic neuropathy can present as loss of hypoglycemia awareness. Also, after excluding other diagnoses, we will also consider the possibility of autonomic neuropathy affecting the gut or the bladder if there is unexplained diarrhea or unexplained bladder emptying problems respectively. In addition, we will bear in mind that patients with autonomic neuropathy who are taking tricyclic drugs and antihypertensive treatment have an increased risk of side effects such as orthostatic hypotension. For men with erectile dysfunction, also after excluding other diagnoses, we will consider a phosphodiesterase 5 inhibitor, taking into account their cardiovascular state and any contraindications, and we will refer them to specialist services if the treatment is unsuccessful. I will not go into the management of diabetic foot problems because this is covered in a separate guideline. And in terms of ITCs, I will only say that they need to be referred immediately to the local eye screening service as soon as they are diagnosed with type 2 diabetes. Right, so this is it. This is the summary of the actual guideline. We will now have a look at some MCQs which will hopefully help you to test your knowledge and also assist you in remembering everything more effectively. The range of questions varies from fairly easy and straightforward ones to others which are more complex and require more thinking. After each question and their four options, there will be a pause of a few seconds only. I also want to stress that the MCQs are intended only to revise concepts in the guideline from a general point of view. We know that diabetes management can be very flexible and deviating from the guideline can be reasonable at times. Finally, I am going to delegate the reading of the questions to an automated voice. I hope that you find it useful. Right, so good luck with your self-test. What should be the primary approach to diabetes care in adults with type 2 diabetes? Standard protocol for all. Start medication as soon as possible. 
individualized, considering personal preferences and comorbidities. Diet and exercise for the first 12 months. The correct answer is individualized, considering personal preferences and comorbidities. Nice quote. Adopt an individualized approach to diabetes care that is tailored to the needs and circumstances of adults with type 2 diabetes, taking into account their personal preferences, comorbidities, and risks from polypharmacy and their likelihood of benefiting from long-term interventions. Such an approach is especially important in the context of multimorbidity. What should be offered at diagnosis to adults with type 2 diabetes? Insulin therapy. A structured education program. A referral to the hospital diabetic clinic. Immediate oral medication. The correct answer is a structured education program. Nice quote. Offer structured education to adults with type 2 diabetes and their family members or carers as appropriate at the time of diagnosis. How often should the need for an educational refresher course be assessed in people with type 2 diabetes? Every five years. Annually. At every appointment. Every two years. The correct answer is. Annually. Nice quote. Offer structured education with annual reinforcement and review. When should group education be preferred for adults with type 2 diabetes? Never. Individual education is always preferred. As the only form of education. As the preferred option. Only if the individual requests it. The correct answer is. As the preferred option. Nice quote. Offer adults with type 2 diabetes group education programs as the preferred option. Provide an alternative of equal standard for people who are unable or prefer not to take part in group education. What is encouraged for adults with type 2 diabetes in terms of diet? Avoiding all carbohydrates. High fiber, low glycemic index foods. Consuming a high protein diet. Frequent intake of diabetes specific foods. The correct answer is high fiber, low glycemic index foods. Nice quote. Encourage adults with type 2 diabetes to follow the same healthy eating advice as the general population, which includes. High fiber, low glycemic index sources of carbohydrates. What is the recommendation regarding foods marketed specifically for people with diabetes? Unlimited intake. Restricted to one meal per day. Recommended for high blood sugar. Discouraged. The correct answer is. Discouraged. Nice quote. Discourage adults with type 2 diabetes from using foods marketed specifically for people with diabetes. What initial body weight loss target is discussed for overweight adults with type 2 diabetes? 1% to 3%, 5% to 10%, 15% to 20%? No specific target. The correct answer is 5% to 10%. Nice quote. For adults with type 2 diabetes who are overweight, discuss and agree an initial body weight loss target of 5% to 
remember that a small amount of weight loss may still be beneficial, and a larger amount will have advantageous metabolic impact in the long term. For diagnosing and managing hypertension in people with type 2 diabetes, which guideline should be referred to? The NICE guideline on diabetes? The general practitioner's usual preference? The NICE guideline on hypertension? The patient's choice of treatment? The correct answer is the NICE guideline on hypertension in adults. NICE quote. For recommendations on hypertension in people with type 2 diabetes, see the NICE guideline on hypertension in adults. What is the approach to diagnosing and treating hypertension in people with type 2 diabetes compared to others? Entirely different from others. Generally, the same as for other people. Based on age only based solely on the type of diabetes? The correct answer is generally the same as for other people. Nice quote. Diagnosis, treatment, and monitoring of hypertension is broadly the same for people with type 2 diabetes as for other people. When a different approach is needed for people with type 2 diabetes, this is specified in the hypertension guideline. Should antiplatelet therapy, aspirin, or clopidogrel be offered to adults with type 2 diabetes without cardiovascular disease? Yes, as a routine preventive measure. Yes, in cases of high blood pressure or high cholesterol. No, it is not recommended. Only if there is a family history of cardiovascular disease. The correct answer is No, it is not recommended. Nice quote. Do not offer antiplatelet therapy, aspirin, or clopidogrel, to adults with type 2 diabetes without cardiovascular disease. In general, how often should HbA1c levels be measured in adults with type 2 diabetes once the HbA1c level and blood glucose lowering therapy are stable? Every three months. Every six months. Annually. Every four months. The correct answer is every six months. Nice quote. Measure HbA1c levels in adults with type 2 diabetes every three to six months tailored to individual needs until HbA1c is stable on unchanging therapy. Six months once the HbA1c level and blood glucose lowering therapy are stable. For adults with type 2 diabetes managed by lifestyle and diet, or combined with a single drug not associated with hyperglycemia, what HbA1c level should they aim for? 48 millimol per mole or 6.5%. 53 millimol per mole or 7%. 58 millimol per mole or 7.5%. 60 millimol per mole or 7.6%. The correct answer is 48 millimol per mole or 6.5%. Nice quote. For adults whose type 2 diabetes is managed either by lifestyle and diet or lifestyle and diet combined with a single drug not associated with hyperglycemia, aim for an HbA1c level of 48 millimol per mole or 6.5%. For adults with type 2 diabetes managed by a single drug associated with hyperglycemia, what HbA1c level should they aim for? 48 millimol per mole or 6.5%. 
53 millimol per mole, or 7%. 58 millimol per mole, or 7.5%. 60 millimol per mole, or 7.6%. The correct answer is 53 millimol per mole, or 7%. Nice quote. For adults on a drug associated with hyperglycemia, aim for an HbA1c level of 53 millimol per mole, or 7%. What should be done if HbA1c levels are not adequately controlled by a single drug in adults with type 2 diabetes, and rise to 58 millimol per mole, or 7.5%, or higher? Stop, and change to another single drug of a different type. Intensify lifestyle advice, and intensify drug treatment. Aim for an HbA1c level of 60 millimol per mole, or 7.6%. Switch to insulin therapy as soon as possible. The correct answer is Intensify lifestyle advice, and intensify drug treatment. Nice quote. In adults with type 2 diabetes, if HbA1c levels are not adequately controlled by a single drug, and rise to 58 millimol per mole, or 7.5%, or higher. Reinforce advice, and aim for an HbA1c level of 53 millimol per mole, or 7%, and intensify drug treatment. What should be considered when deciding to relax the target HbA1c level for adults with type 2 diabetes? The cost of treatment. The convenience of the patient the likelihood of achieving long-term risk reduction benefits, the availability of appointments. The correct answer is the likelihood of achieving long-term risk reduction benefits. Nice quote. Consider relaxing the target HbA1c level with particular consideration for people who are older or frailer if they are unlikely to achieve longer-term risk reduction benefits, for example, people with a reduced life expectancy. Tight blood glucose control would put them at high risk if they developed hyperglycemia. Intensive management would not be appropriate, for example if they have significant comorbidities. When is self-monitoring of capillary blood glucose levels recommended for adults with type 2 diabetes? Routinely for all patients. If the person is on insulin or has evidence of hypoglycemic episodes. Every three months. As soon as metformin is started. The correct answer is if the person is on insulin or has evidence of hypoglycemic episodes. Nice quote. Do not routinely offer self-monitoring of capillary blood glucose levels unless the person is on insulin or there is evidence of hypoglycemic episodes or the person is on oral medication that may increase their risk of hyperglycemia while driving or operating machinery or the person is pregnant or is planning to become pregnant. What should be considered before offering intermittently scanned continuous glucose monitoring to adults with type 2 diabetes? Preference for digital monitoring systems. Cost of the device. If they have recurrent hyperglycemia or impaired hyperglycemia awareness. Age of the patient. The correct answer is if they have recurrent hyperglycemia or impaired hyperglycemia awareness. Nice quote. Offer intermittently scanned continuous glucose monitoring, commonly referred to as TFLASH, 
to adults with type 2 diabetes on multiple daily insulin injections if any of the following apply. They have recurrent hyperglycemia or severe hyperglycemia. They have impaired hyperglycemia awareness. They have a condition or disability that means they cannot self-monitor but could use an intermittently scanned continuous glucose monitoring device or have it scanned for them. They would otherwise self-measure at least eight times a day. Offer intermittently scanned continuous glucose monitoring to adults with insulin-treated type 2 diabetes who would need help from a care worker or healthcare professional to monitor their blood glucose. When should short-term self-monitoring of capillary blood glucose levels be considered in adults with type 2 diabetes? When starting treatment with oral or intravenous corticosteroids? Only when the patient insists. After every meal. As a routine part of diabetes management. The correct answer is. When starting treatment with oral or intravenous corticosteroids. Nice quote. Consider short-term self-monitoring of capillary blood glucose levels in adults with type 2 diabetes, reviewing treatment as necessary. When starting treatment with oral or intravenous corticosteroids, or to confirm suspected hyperglycemia. What should adults with type 2 diabetes using continuous glucose monitoring still do? Completely rely on continuous glucose monitoring for glucose monitoring. Use capillary blood glucose measurements for accuracy checks and as a backup. Only use continuous glucose monitoring during physical activity. Discontinue other forms of glucose monitoring. The correct answer is Use capillary blood glucose measurements for accuracy checks and as a backup. Nice quote. Advise adults with type 2 diabetes who are using continuous glucose monitoring that they will still need to take capillary blood glucose measurements, although they can do this less often. Explain that is because they will need to use capillary blood glucose measurements to check the accuracy of their continuous glucose monitoring device. They will need capillary blood glucose monitoring as a backup. What should be considered for adults with type 2 diabetes with symptomatic hyperglycemia? The full dose of metformin as soon as possible. The full dose of metformin with a second drug, either a DPP for inhibitor, or an SGLT2 inhibitor depending on the case. Insulin, or a sulfonylurea. An SGLT2 inhibitor at the full dose. The correct answer is. Insulin, or a sulfonylurea. Nice quote. If an adult with type 2 diabetes is symptomatically hyperglycemic, consider insulin, or a sulfonylurea and review treatment when blood glucose control has been achieved. What is the first-line drug treatment recommended for adults with type 2 diabetes? SGLT2 inhibitor. Sulfonylurea. Standard-release metformin. DPP for inhibitor. The correct answer is. Standard-release metformin. Nice quote. Offer standard-release metformin as first-line drug treatment to adults with type 2 diabetes. If standard-release metformin causes gastrointestinal side effects in an adult with type 2 diabetes, what is the recommended next step? Discontinue metformin immediately. Switch to a DPP for inhibitor. Consider a trial of modified-release metformin. Switch to an SGLT2 inhibitor. The correct answer is... 
consider a trial of modified release metformin. Nice quote. If an adult with type 2 diabetes experiences gastrointestinal side effects with standard release metformin, consider a trial of modified release metformin. For adults with type 2 diabetes and chronic heart failure or established atherosclerotic cardiovascular disease, what additional medication is recommended? Pioglitazone. A sulfonylurea. An SGLT2 inhibitor. Insulin. The correct answer is an SGLT2 inhibitor. Nice quote. If they have chronic heart failure or established atherosclerotic cardiovascular disease, offer an SGLT2 inhibitor with proven cardiovascular benefit in addition to metformin. What should be monitored before starting an SGLT2 inhibitor in adults with type 2 diabetes? Body mass index. Risk of diabetic ketoacidosis. Blood pressure. Cholesterol levels. The correct answer is. Risk of diabetic ketoacidosis. Nice quote. Before starting an SGLT2 inhibitor, check whether the person may be at increased risk of diabetic ketoacidosis. For example if. They have had a previous episode of DKA. They are unwell with intercurrent illness. They are following a very low-carbohydrate or ketogenic diet. If dual therapy with metformin and another oral drug is not effective in controlling HbA1c, what should be considered for adults with type 2 diabetes? Discontinuing all medication and start insulin. Adding a DPP for inhibitor, pioglitazone, sulfonylurea, or an SGLT2 inhibitor as triple oral therapy, or starting insulin. Adding a GLP-1 receptor agonist. Adding Allistat to help with overweight. The correct answer is. Adding a DPP for inhibitor, pioglitazone, sulfonylurea, or an SGLT2 inhibitor as triple oral therapy, or starting insulin. Nice quote. For adults with type 2 diabetes, if dual therapy with metformin, and another oral drug has not continued to control HbA1c to below the person's individually agreed threshold for further intervention, consider either triple therapy by adding a DPP for inhibitor, pioglitazone, or a sulfonylurea, or an SGLT2 inhibitor, or starting insulin-based treatment. What is the recommendation for the use of GLP-1 receptor agonist therapy in adults with type 2 diabetes? It should be used as a first-line treatment. Only continue if there is a beneficial metabolic response. It should be combined with insulin as a primary option. It should be given with a DPP for inhibitor. The correct answer is. Only continue if there is a beneficial metabolic response. Nice quote. Only continue GLP-1 receptor agonist therapy if the adult with type 2 diabetes has had a beneficial metabolic response a reduction of at least 11 millimol per mole or 1% in HbA1c, and weight loss of at least 3% of initial body weight in 6 months. In general, what should be done when starting insulin therapy for adults with type 2 diabetes? Discontinue all other blood glucose-lowering therapies. Provide a structured program including active insulin dose titration and dietary advice. Immediately switch to continuous glucose monitoring. Use insulin analogs first line. 
The correct answer is Provide a structured program including active insulin dose titration and dietary advice. Nice quote. For adults with type 2 diabetes starting insulin therapy, provide a structured program using active insulin dose titration that encompasses Injection technique Continuing telephone support Self-monitoring Dose titration Dietary advice The DVLA's fitness to drive Managing hyperglycemia Managing acute changes in plasma glucose control When should insulin therapy be started for adults with type 2 diabetes? As soon as a sulfonylurea becomes ineffective If metformin is contraindicated or not tolerated and dual therapy with two oral drugs is ineffective only when HbA1c levels exceed 75 millimol per mole, or 9%. After 5 years of oral medication. The correct answer is. If metformin is contraindicated, or not tolerated, and dual therapy with two oral drugs is ineffective. Nice quote. In adults with type 2 diabetes, if metformin is contraindicated, or not tolerated, and dual therapy with two oral drugs, has not continued to control HbA1c. To below the person's individually agreed threshold for intervention, consider insulin-based treatment. For adults with type 2 diabetes starting on insulin, what is recommended regarding metformin? Increase the dose of metformin. Discontinue metformin immediately. Continue to offer metformin unless contraindicated or not tolerated. Replace metformin with a DPP-4 inhibitor. The correct answer is Continue to offer metformin unless contraindicated or not tolerated. Nice quote. For adults with type 2 diabetes starting insulin therapy, continue to offer metformin for people without contraindications or intolerance. Review the continued need for other blood glucose lowering therapies. What type of insulin regimen would be acceptable for adults with type 2 diabetes who require insulin therapy? Rapid-acting insulin with every meal. NPH insulin once or twice daily. NPH insulin during the day and insulin glargin at night. NPH insulin during the day and insulin detemir at night. The correct answer is NPH insulin once or twice daily. Nice quote. Start insulin therapy for adults with type 2 diabetes from a choice of the following insulin types and regimens. Offer NPH insulin injected once or twice daily according to need. What should be considered when deciding to use pioglitazone in the treatment of type 2 diabetes? The risk of bladder cancer? The risk of gastrointestinal side effects? The patient's age? The cost of the medication? The correct answer is The risk of bladder cancer BNF quote Cautions, risk factors for bladder cancer When is the use of a DPP for inhibitor monotherapy for type 2 diabetes recommended? If metformin cannot be used and no risk of heart failure or atherosclerotic cardiovascular disease As a first-line treatment for non-obese patients To help weight loss if the patient has established atherosclerotic heart disease. The correct answer is 
if metformin cannot be used, and no risk of heart failure or atherosclerotic cardiovascular disease. Nice quote. For first-line drug treatment in adults with type 2 diabetes, if metformin is contraindicated or not tolerated, and if they are not in either of the groups in Recommendation 1.7.9, History of Heart Failure or History, or High Risk of Atherosclerotic Cardiovascular Disease, consider a DPP for inhibitor or pioglitazone or a sulfonylurea or an SGLT2 inhibitor for people who meet the criteria. For what specific group of adults with type 2 diabetes is the use of an SGLT2 inhibitor not recommended? Those with a high risk of hyperglycemia. Those with a high risk of diabetic ketoacidosis. Those over the age of 65. Those with established atherosclerotic cardiovascular disease. The correct answer is those with a high risk of diabetic ketoacidosis. Nice quote. Address modifiable risks for DKA before starting an SGLT2 inhibitor. For example, for people who are following a very low-carbohydrate or ketogenic diet, they may need to delay treatment until they have changed their diet. What is the recommended action if an adult with type 2 diabetes on NPH insulin does not achieve glycemic control? Due to hyperglycemia, administer in several injections the same total daily NPH dose. Combine NPH insulin with an SGLT2 inhibitor. Switch to insulin detemia or insulin glargin. Combine NPH insulin with a DPP for inhibitor. The correct answer is Switch to insulin detemia or insulin glargin. Nice quote. Consider switching to insulin detemia or insulin glargin from NPH insulin in adults with type 2 diabetes who do not reach their target HbA1c because of significant hyperglycemia or who experience significant hyperglycemia on NPH insulin irrespective of the level of HbA1c reached or who cannot use the device needed to inject NPH insulin but could administer their own insulin safely and accurately if a switch to one of the long-acting insulin analogues was made, or who need help from a carer or healthcare professional to administer insulin injections, and for whom switching to one of the long-acting insulin analogues would reduce the number of daily injections. What is the recommended approach for adults with type 2 diabetes who are not achieving target HbA1c levels with three oral therapies? Add a fourth oral therapy. Change the class group of oral diabetic agents. Switch one of the oral agents to a GLP-1 receptor agonist, or start insulin. Space out throughout the day the dose of current oral therapies. The correct answer is. Switch one of the oral agents to a GLP-1 receptor agonist, or start insulin. Nice quote. If triple therapy with metformin and two other oral drugs is not effective, not tolerated, or contraindicated, Consider triple therapy by switching one drug for a GLP-1 receptor agonist for adults with type 2 diabetes who have a BMI of 35 or higher, adjust accordingly for people from black, Asian, and other minority ethnic groups, and specific psychological or other medical problems associated with obesity, or have a BMI lower than 35 and for whom insulin therapy would have significant occupational implications, or Weight loss would benefit other significant obesity-related comorbidities.
What is a key consideration when prescribing pioglitazone for type 2 diabetes? The risk of heart failure. The cost of the drug. The risk of urine infections. The risk of hyperglycemia. The correct answer is the risk of heart failure. BNF quote. Contraindications, DKA, history of heart failure, previous, or active bladder cancer, uninvestigated macroscopic hematuria. For adults with type 2 diabetes, when is the combination of metformin and a DPP for inhibitor acceptable? It is recommended as the first-line treatment. Never, it should be avoided due to increased risk of hyperglycemia. If metformin alone does not control blood glucose and there is no heart failure or cardiovascular risk, it should be used if at high risk of heart failure. The correct answer is If metformin alone does not control blood glucose and there is no heart failure or cardiovascular risk. Nice quote. For adults with type 2 diabetes, if monotherapy has not continued to control HbA1c, to below the person's individually agreed threshold for further intervention, consider adding a DPP for inhibitor, or pioglitazone, or a sulfonylurea, or an SGLT2 inhibitor. An SGLT2 inhibitor should be used first line for people who have chronic heart failure, or established atherosclerotic cardiovascular disease, or are at high risk of it. What is an acceptable recommendation for adults with type 2 diabetes who need to intensify therapy beyond dual oral therapy? Switch to combination of a DPP for inhibitor and an SGLT2 inhibitor. Add a third oral hypoglycemic agent. Switch to GLP-1 agonist injectable therapy. Increase doses of metformin to 3 grams per day. The correct answer is Add a third oral hypoglycemic agent. Nice quote. For adults with type 2 diabetes, if dual therapy with metformin and another oral drug has not continued to control HbA1c, to below the person's individually agreed threshold for further intervention, consider either triple therapy by adding a DPP for inhibitor, pioglitazone, or a sulfonylurea, or an SGLT2 inhibitor, or starting insulin-based treatment. In adults with type 2 diabetes, an established cardiovascular disease, after metformin, what additional treatment is recommended? DPP for inhibitors. SGLT2 inhibitors. Pioglitazone. Sulfonylureas. The correct answer is SGLT2 inhibitors. Nice quote. Based on the cardiovascular risk assessment for the person with type 2 diabetes, if they have chronic heart failure or established atherosclerotic cardiovascular disease, offer an SGLT2 inhibitor with proven cardiovascular benefit in addition to metformin. If they are at high risk of developing cardiovascular disease, consider an SGLT2 inhibitor with proven cardiovascular benefit in addition to metformin. What is the recommended course of action if an adult with type 2 diabetes cannot tolerate metformin and does not have heart failure? or risk of atherosclerotic cardiovascular disease. Offer a DPP for inhibitor. Offer pioglitazone. Offer a sulfonylurea or an SGLT2 inhibitor. Any one of the above. The correct answer is any one of the above. Nice quote. 
For first-line drug treatment in adults with type 2 diabetes, if metformin is contraindicated or not tolerated, and if they do not have a history of heart failure or history or high risk of atherosclerotic cardiovascular disease, consider a DPP for inhibitor or pioglitazone or a sulfonylurea or an SGLT2 inhibitor. What is the role of pioglitazone in managing type 2 diabetes according to the NICE guidelines? To be used instead of metformin. As part of dual or triple therapy when metformin and other treatments are not effective. To replace DPP for inhibitors. As the primary treatment for weight loss. The correct answer is. As part of dual or triple therapy when metformin and other treatments are not effective. Nice quote. For adults with type 2 diabetes, if monotherapy has not continued to control HbA1c, consider adding a DPP for inhibitor or pioglitazone or a sulfonylurea or an SGLT2 inhibitor. For adults with type 2 diabetes, if dual therapy with metformin and another oral drug has not continued to control HbA1c, consider either triple therapy by adding a DPP for inhibitor pioglitazone, or a sulfonylurea, or an SGLT2 inhibitor, or starting insulin-based treatment. What is an important consideration when using SGLT2 inhibitors in type 2 diabetes management? Monitoring for urinary infections. Monitoring for gastrointestinal side effects. Using as a substitute for metformin. Administering with every meal. The correct answer is Monitoring for urinary infections. BNF quote. For dapagliflozin, urinary glucose excretion may be associated with an increased risk of urinary tract infection. Consider temporarily interrupting treatment when treating pyelonephritis or urosepsis. In adults with type 2 diabetes and obesity, what additional benefit does the use of an SGLT2 inhibitor offer? Rapid insulin dependency. Weight loss. Neutral effect on blood pressure. Reduced risk of amputations. The correct answer is. Weight loss. Nice quote. SGLT2 inhibitors, effect on weight, loss. What is the recommended action for adults with type 2 diabetes who have a BMI of 35 or higher? Immediate start of insulin therapy. Consideration of an assessment for bariatric surgery. Switching to a low-calorie diet only. Increasing physical activity without medication changes. The correct answer is. Consideration of an assessment for bariatric surgery. Nice quote. For recommendations on bariatric surgery for people with type 2 diabetes, see the. Nice guideline on obesity. Offer adults a referral for a comprehensive assessment by specialist weight management services to see whether bariatric surgery is suitable for them if they have a BMI of 40 or more or between 35 and 39.9 with a significant health condition that could be improved if they lost weight and agree to the necessary long-term follow-up after surgery, for example, lifelong annual reviews. What is the key benefit of using a GLP-1 receptor agonist in type 2 diabetes management? It eliminates the need for insulin. It is weight neutral. 
it has a low risk of hyperglycemia. Immediate control of blood glucose levels. The correct answer is. It has a low risk of hyperglycemia. Nice quote. Summary of medicines for further treatment. GLP's 1 receptor agonists have low risk of hyperglycemia. For type 2 diabetes patients with a high risk of cardiovascular events, what medication class is recommended? DPP for inhibitor. Thiazolidindians. SGLT2 inhibitors. Sulfonylureas. The correct answer is. SGLT2 inhibitors. Nice quote. Based on the cardiovascular risk assessment for the person with type 2 diabetes. If they have chronic heart failure or established atherosclerotic cardiovascular disease, offer an SGLT2 inhibitor with proven cardiovascular benefit in addition to metformin. If they are at high risk of developing cardiovascular disease, consider an SGLT2 inhibitor with proven cardiovascular benefit in addition to metformin. When should triple therapy be considered in adults with type 2 diabetes? After 10 years of dual therapy. When dual therapy with metformin, and another oral drug is not effective. As a first-line treatment. After stopping insulin abruptly. The correct answer is. When dual therapy with metformin, and another oral drug is not effective. Nice quote. For adults with type 2 diabetes, if dual therapy with metformin, and another oral drug has not continued to control HbA1c, to below the person's individually agreed threshold for further intervention, consider either triple therapy by adding a DPP for inhibitor, pioglitazone, or a sulfonylurea, or an SGLT2 inhibitor, or starting insulin-based treatment. In managing type 2 diabetes, when is it appropriate to consider an SGLT2 inhibitor as monotherapy? If there is heart failure and metformin is not tolerated, First line after diagnosis. If there is a history of DKA just before starting insulin, the correct answer is if there is heart failure and metformin is not tolerated. Nice quote. For first-line drug treatment in adults with type 2 diabetes, if metformin is contraindicated or not tolerated, if they have chronic heart failure or established atherosclerotic cardiovascular disease, Offer an SGLT2 inhibitor with proven cardiovascular benefit. If they are at high risk of developing cardiovascular disease, consider an SGLT2 inhibitor with proven cardiovascular benefit. What is a consideration when using pioglitazone in type 2 diabetes management? They are the preferred first-line treatment. The risk of fluid retention and heart failure. They should be used in combination with insulin. They are most effective in young adults. The correct answer is the risk of fluid retention and heart failure. MHRA quote Incidence of heart failure is increased when pioglitazone is combined with insulin, especially in patients with predisposing factors, for example, previous myocardial infarction. Patients who take pioglitazone should be closely monitored for signs of heart failure. Treatment should be discontinued if any deterioration in cardiac status occurs. Pioglitazone should not be used in patients with heart failure or a history of heart failure. Which medication is recommended for adults with type 2 diabetes 
and significant risk of hyperglycemia. High-dose sulfonylureas. The combination of insulin therapy and SGLT2 inhibitors. DPP for inhibitors. Insulin therapy. The correct answer is DPP4 inhibitors. Nice quote. DPP for inhibitors, risk of hyperglycemia, low. What should be monitored in adults with type 2 diabetes who are starting pioglitazone? Kidney function. Liver function. Thyroid function. Blood pressure. The correct answer is liver function. BNF quote. Monitor liver function before treatment and periodically thereafter. In adults with type 2 diabetes and an EGFR between 30 and 60, what modification is recommended for metformin? Discontinue metformin. Increase the dose of metformin. Continue metformin at a reduced dose. Switch to a sulfonylurea. The correct answer is Continue metformin at a reduced dose. BNF quote Avoid if EGFR is less than 30. Reduce dose in moderate impairment. What is a primary concern when using sulfonylureas in type 2 diabetes? Risk of diabetic ketoacidosis. Risk of hyperglycemia. Risk of gastrointestinal side effects. Increased blood pressure. The correct answer is Risk of hyperglycemia. Nice quote. Sulfonylurea, risk of hyperglycemia, moderate, high in older people. According to NICE guidelines, what should be the focus when managing blood glucose levels in older adults with type 2 diabetes? Aggressive lowering of blood glucose levels. Avoiding tight control of blood glucose to minimize the risk of hyperglycemia. Maintaining the same targets as younger adults. Focusing solely on dietary changes. The correct answer is Avoiding tight control of blood glucose to minimize the risk of hyperglycemia. Nice quote. Consider relaxing the target HbA1c level, with particular consideration for people who are older, or frailer, if they are unlikely to achieve longer-term risk reduction benefits, for example, people with a reduced life expectancy. Tight blood glucose control would put them at high risk if they developed hyperglycemia. Intensive management would not be appropriate, for example if they have significant comorbidities. When should dual therapy be considered for adults with type 2 diabetes? As a first-line treatment. When HbA1c levels are 58 millimol per mole or 7.5% or higher. Only when HbA1c levels exceed 75 millimol per mole or 9%. After 5 years of monotherapy. The correct answer is when HbA1c levels are 58 millimol per mole or 7.5% or higher. Nice quote. For adults with type 2 diabetes, if monotherapy has not continued to control HbA1c to below the person's individually agreed threshold for further intervention, consider adding a DPP for inhibitor or pioglitazone or a sulfonylurea or an SGLT2 inhibitor for people who have a history of heart failure or history or high risk of atherosclerotic cardiovascular disease. 
advise adults with type 2 diabetes at their annual review that they are at lower risk of periodontitis. They should have oral check reviews every six months regardless of what their dental team advise. If they get periodontitis, treating it can improve reduce the risk of hyperglycemia. Stopping oral diabetic agents and starting insulin reduces the risk of periodontitis. The correct answer is If they get periodontitis, treating it can improve reduce the risk of hyperglycemia. Nice quote. Advise adults with type 2 diabetes at their annual review that they are at higher risk of periodontitis. If they get periodontitis, managing it can improve their blood glucose control and can reduce their risk of hyperglycemia. Advise adults with type 2 diabetes to have regular oral health reviews, their oral health care, or dental team will tell them how often, in line with a nice guideline on dental checks. To treat vomiting caused by gastroparesis in adults with type 2 diabetes as first-line treatment. Use domperidone. Consider alternating the use of erythromycin and metoclopramide. PPIs are the most effective treatment. Stop oral diabetic agents and treat diabetes only with insulin. The correct answer is. Consider alternating the use of erythromycin and metoclopramide. Nice quote. To treat vomiting caused by gastroparesis in adults with type 2 diabetes. Consider alternating the use of erythromycin and metoclopramide. Consider domperidone only in exceptional circumstances if domperidone is the only effective treatment, and in accordance with MHRA guidance on domperidone. For adults with chronic kidney disease and type 2 diabetes, offer an ARB if the ACR is below 3 mg per mole. Hypertensive treatment aiming for a target blood pressure below 150 over 90. An ARB or an ACE inhibitor if ACR is 3 or more. An SGLT2 inhibitor first line. The correct answer is an ARB or an ACE inhibitor if ACR is 3 or more. Nice quote. For adults with chronic kidney disease and type 2 diabetes, offer an ARB or an ACE inhibitor, titrated to the highest licensed dose that the person can tolerate if ACR is 3 or more. For managing painful diabetic peripheral neuropathy in adults with type 2 diabetes, the following statement is true. Carbamazepine is an acceptable option. Amitriptyline is an acceptable option. Regular tramadol is an acceptable option. Topiramate is an acceptable option. The correct answer is Amitriptyline is an acceptable option. Nice quote. For guidance on managing painful diabetic peripheral neuropathy in adults with type 2 diabetes, see the NICE guideline on neuropathic pain in adults. This guideline states that we should offer a choice of amitriptyline, duloxetine, gabapentin, or pregabalin as initial treatment for neuropathic pain, except trigeminal neuralgia. For adults with type 2 diabetes who lose the warning signs of hyperglycemia, think about the possibility of autonomic neuropathy, immediate hospital admission. It's a normal process in diabetes. Intensifying diabetic treatment. The correct answer is the possibility of autonomic neuropathy. Nice quote. 
Think about the possibility of contributory sympathetic nervous system damage in adults with type 2 diabetes who lose the warning signs of hyperglycemia. For adults with type 2 diabetes, an autonomic neuropathy taking tricyclic drugs, explain that there is an increased likelihood of orthostatic hypertension. That there is no potential risk. That there is an increased likelihood of addiction. That the dose of amitriptyline should be increased to help manage the autonomic neuropathy. The correct answer is that there is an increased likelihood of orthostatic hypertension. Nice quote. For adults with type 2 diabetes, an autonomic neuropathy who are taking tricyclic drugs, and antihypertensive drug treatments, be aware of the increased likelihood of side effects such as orthostatic hypertension. For adults with type 2 diabetes, and CKD who are taking an ARB, or an ACE inhibitor, offer dapagliflozin, or empagliflozin. If ACR is over 30 regardless of EGFR level. As soon as CKD is confirmed, taking into account EGFR level. As soon as dose of the ARB, or ACE inhibitor is optimized, taking into account EGFR level. Reduce the dose of ARB, or ACE inhibitor before starting the SGLT2 inhibitor to avoid hypertension. The correct answer is. As soon as dose of the ARB, or ACE inhibitor is optimized, taking into account EGFR level. Nice quote. Technology appraisal of dapagliflozin and empagliflozin for CKD says that they can be considered as an add-on to optimized standard care including the highest tolerated licensed dose of ACE inhibitors or ARBs, unless these are contraindicated. For gastroparesis in type 2 diabetes, what is the effectiveness of antiemetic therapy? Highly effective. No strong evidence of effectiveness. Only effective in severe cases. Effective when combined with insulin therapy. The correct answer is. No strong evidence of effectiveness. Nice quote. For adults with type 2 diabetes who have vomiting caused by gastroparesis, explain that. There is no strong evidence that any available antiemetic therapy is effective. Some people have had benefit with domperidone, erythromycin, or metoclopramide. The strongest evidence for effectiveness is for domperidone, but prescribers must take into account its safety profile, in particular its cardiac risk and potential interactions with other medicines. When should adults with type 2 diabetes consider domperidone for gastroparesis? As a first-line treatment. In mild cases. Only in exceptional circumstances. At any stage of gastroparesis. The correct answer is only in exceptional circumstances. Nice quote. To treat vomiting caused by gastroparesis in adults with type 2 diabetes. Consider alternating the use of erythromycin and metoclopramide. Consider domperidone only in exceptional circumstances if domperidone is the only effective treatment and in accordance with MHRA guidance on domperidone. What should adults with type 2 diabetes and CKD be advised if ACR is 3 or more? Stopping metformin. Starting a low-dose diuretic. Starting an ARB or ACE inhibitor. Starting UTI antibiotic prophylaxis. The correct answer is. Starting an ARB 
or ACE inhibitor. Nice quote. For adults with chronic kidney disease and type 2 diabetes, offer an ARB or an ACE inhibitor, titrated to the highest licensed dose that the person can tolerate if ACR is 3 or more. For erectile dysfunction in men with type 2 diabetes, in general, what is the first-line treatment to be considered? Immediate urology referral. CBT. Phosphodiesterase-5 inhibitor. Antidepressants. The correct answer is. Phosphodiesterase-5 inhibitor. Nice quote. Consider a phosphodiesterase-5 inhibitor to treat problematic erectile dysfunction in men with type 2 diabetes. Initially choose the drug with the lowest acquisition cost and take into account any contraindications. When should adults with type 2 diabetes be referred for retinal screening? At every annual review. Only in cases of severe vision loss. Immediately upon diagnosis. Annually when they reach 50 years of age. The correct answer is immediately upon diagnosis. Nice quote. When adults are diagnosed with type 2 diabetes, refer them immediately to the local eye screening service. What is the strongest evidence for effectiveness in treating vomiting caused by gastroparesis in type 2 diabetes? Metaclopramide. Erythromycin. Domperidone. Cyclozine. The correct answer is Domperidone. Nice quote. For adults with type 2 diabetes who have vomiting caused by gastroparesis, explain that. There is no strong evidence that any available antiemetic therapy is effective. Some people have had benefit with Domperidone, erythromycin, or metaclopramide. The strongest evidence for effectiveness is for Domperidone, but prescribers must take into account its safety profile in particular its cardiac risk and potential interactions with other medicines. What dietary approach is recommended for the management of type 2 diabetes? High-carbohydrate, low-fat diet. High-protein, low-carb diet. High-fiber, low-glycemic index diet. Ketogenic diet. The correct answer is High-fiber, low-glycemic index diet. Nice quote. Encourage adults with type 2 diabetes to follow the same healthy eating advice as the general population, which includes high fiber, low glycemic index sources of carbohydrates, low fat foods, encourage oily fish. What is the recommended first line drug treatment for adults with type 2 diabetes? Insulin, sulfonylureas, metformin. DPP for inhibitors. The correct answer is metformin. Nice quote. Offer standard release metformin as first-line drug treatment to adults with type 2 diabetes. When is self-monitoring of blood glucose not routinely offered to adults with type 2 diabetes? When the person is on insulin. When the person has hypoglycemic episodes. When the person is only on metformin. When the person is pregnant or planning to become pregnant. The correct answer is. When the person is only on metformin. Nice quote. Do not routinely offer self-monitoring of capillary blood glucose levels unless. 
The person is on insulin, or there is evidence of hypoglycemic episodes, or the person is on oral medication that may increase their risk of hyperglycemia while driving or operating machinery, or the person is pregnant or is planning to become pregnant. When should an SGLT2 inhibitor be considered for addition at any stage after first-line treatment in type 2 diabetes? In all patients regardless of their condition. Only in patients needing additional diuretic effect. If the patient has or develops chronic heart failure or atherosclerosis. If the patient develops frequent UTIs. The correct answer is. If the patient has or develops chronic heart failure or atherosclerosis. Nice quote. For adults with type 2 diabetes at any stage after they have started first-line treatment. If they have or develop chronic heart failure or established atherosclerotic cardiovascular disease, offer an SGLT2 inhibitor with proven cardiovascular benefit in addition to current treatment or replace an existing drug with the SGLT2 inhibitor. If they are or become at high risk of developing cardiovascular disease, consider adding an SGLT2 inhibitor with proven cardiovascular benefit to current treatment or replacing an existing drug with the SGLT2 inhibitor. We have come to the end of this episode. Remember that this is not medical advice and it is only my summary and my interpretation of the guidelines. You must always use your clinical judgment. Thank you for listening and goodbye.